So I encourage you to have your Bibles available uh, and be reading along with us as we look at this little story that some people really struggle with. Some people who like to approach the Bible and try and work it all out don't understand this little story. But before we get there, I want to raise this question. How do you cope when somebody disagrees with you? How do you cope when somebody disagrees with you? I think this is a very important question. Many churches break up because people disagree. And I think in this story that we're going to look at, Jesus demonstrates how to disagree with people well. Before we get to the story, let's just look at verse 22 and 23, because that comes first. And Jesus, for the second time, tells his disciples that he is going to go and die. In fact, what he says is, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. This is the first time that Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to be delivered or betrayed. I imagine, as Jesus says this, he's probably looking at Judas. Jesus knows at this point that one of his friends is going to betray him. That's what the word delivered means. And so he would be sad as he says this. And what we see happen, just before he says that, it says, when they came together in Galilee. This is, from now on, the disciples will be together. And they are walking from Galilee... Who knows where they're walking to from Galilee? Do you know where they're walking to? To Jerusalem. Jesus has been waiting for this moment. Earlier we've seen that Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. We've looked at the the moment of transfiguration that Laurie shared with us about. And then last week we had this picture of what faith is. But now they gather together in Galilee and start walking towards Jerusalem. For the last time, Jesus comes to Capernaum. Many people think that Jesus lived in Nazareth, but he didn't. For most of his adult life, or certainly for most of his public ministry, he lived in Capernaum. And so he is coming home. Have you ever been away for a long time and then come home? Well, that's what Jesus was doing. He was coming to where things were familiar. And one of the problems with coming home is that home is often a place where things need to be fixed or things need to be done. What is lovely about being away is that there's nothing you need to fix. There's nothing you need to do. 
Jesus comes back and he comes back just at the time that the temple tax is being collected. So he's coming home and because he has lived in Capernaum, he has to pay the temple tax. It's clear Peter also lives in Capernaum. Now, it says that the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and says, doesn't your master pay the tax? And it's interesting, Peter didn't talk to Jesus, he just said, yes, he does. Peter just assumes that Jesus will pay the tax. And then he comes home. And you notice, Jesus didn't ask Peter... Yeah, what were those people talking about or what was happening? No. It's like Jesus knew what was going on and it says, and he says, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From who do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. It's important you hear this. What Jesus is saying here is very, very important. One of the challenges for us to understand is how important the temple was for Jewish people. The temple wasn't just a church you went to on a Sunday morning. The church is not the same as the temple in in the way the Jewish people thought of it. The temple was the, the one place on earth where heaven intersected with earth, where God's presence was made manifest. It was the most holy place on the planet for Jewish people. And Jesus has earlier said something that Jewish people would find offensive. In chapter 12, do you know what he said? He said, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. Can you see why Jewish people would find that offensive? If the temple was the place where heaven and earth intersected, for Jesus to be saying, I'm greater than the temple. He is saying that he is the place where heaven and earth now intersect. Now, that is exactly what in the Gospel of John, John starts his whole book by saying. We miss it because we we read the, the Bible in Nepalese or in English. But John actually is saying in verse 14 of chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. 
In the Greek there, that, that word is actually the same word that's used for tabernacle. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you know what was in the temple? It was the glory of God. The glory of God came and rested in the holiest of holy places in the temple. And what John is saying here is the word became flesh and made his tabernacle amongst us and he was the glory. He was God's presence amongst us. And so when Jesus says, I am greater than the temple, he is saying something absolutely profound. And he's also saying, I don't need to pay the temple tax. I don't need to pay for the upkeep of something that I am superseding. And when he compares himself to a king's son or a king's child, he's saying, I am God's child. I am God's son. One of the problems people often have in reading Matthew, Mark and Luke is they think that Jesus doesn't say that he is God in these books. That just means they're not reading closely enough. It is very clear when Jesus says he replaces the temple, when he is saying he is the same, the same, he has the same relationship to God the Father that a king's son has to a king, he is saying he is God's son. And now this is the thing you need to know. He doesn't just say to Peter, God's the, the king's child, does he? You notice it's plural. You notice it's plural? When he says, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or others. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. When Jesus says to Peter, who has to pay the temple tax? God's kids? Do, do God's kids have to pay the temple tax? He's saying, no, they don't. Who are God's children? This is what we need to hear. There is a really important truth repeated right the way through the New Testament. And it's this. Starting with the few verses just before in John, this is a, the, the thing in the, in the Gospel of John, this is what uh, John wanted people to understand. He said this, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is not the only time the Bible says this. In Galatians it says, so 
in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In Romans, this is one of my favourite bits of Romans chapter 8, where it says, those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you have to live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's kids. Or in 1 John it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is they didn't know him, John says there. This is what you need to hear and I need to hear. When you begin to have a fight with somebody or when you begin to disagree with somebody, sometimes it feels like you have to win in order for everything to be okay. Sometimes it feels like something in your life has to change in order for things to be okay. Sometimes you feel like I've got to get more money in order for things to be okay. Or I've got to get a proper education in order for things to be okay. Or I've got to have a different relationship with my family. Or I've got to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend in order for things to be okay. It is normal in the world to try and do things in order to be okay. But think a bit about what the relationship between a father and a child is and what it's meant to be. Sadly, not everybody experiences what relationships between a father and child are meant to be. But what is true about my children is I will always love them, no matter what. They don't have to earn my love. When God says you are his child... What he's saying is you don't have to earn his love. And in fact, one of Satan's lies for you is that you are not okay, that you need to do something in order to be more okay. And for many of us, we have different lies we believe. For some of us, it is that we need more money. For some of us, it is we need more friends. For some of it is we need a new car. For some of us, it is we need a different relationship with people. Whatever it is. Some, some of us, it is we, want, we need to look better than we do. We need to be fitter than we are. But it's really important to hear this. No matter what, God loves you. This is what the beautiful truth of God's grace is. 
And so when Peter, when God, when Jesus says to Peter, the king's kids don't need to worry about paying taxes, he's also saying, Peter, you don't need to do anything to change your relationship with God. We're going to just take a minute. I'm going to put up a, a slide on the screen because I want you to think about what are the things that sometimes you believe you need to do in order to be okay or you need to have in order to be okay because these are the lies that Satan wants you to believe. Can we chuck that slide up? What I'd love you to do, if you've got a phone, if you scan that QR code, that will take you to a question where you can put the answer in. And we want to see, where are you tempted to look for your sense of being okay? What are the things you're tempted to fall into in order to feel okay? So if you take a photo of that using your phone, you should be able to, it'll take you to a link. You can just go to mentimeter.com and type in those numbers and it'll also take you because we want to hear, if you're watching online, this works for you too. We want to hear from you as well. If you're here at Lena Valley or at Mornington, we want to hear from you. And we want you to think about what are the things that you feel you need to do or be in order to be okay. Remember, they are the things that Satan will use to tell you that you're not okay and it's not true. But it's important that you understand what are the things you are likely to look for or look to in order to feel okay. So that link, and if, if you are near people who don't have a phone or if you're one of the Nepalese congregation and you're near people who don't, um, un, don't hear English well, can you explain to them what's happening and ask, write down their answers? Write down their get these answers. We want to get everybody's answers if we can. We're going to put the answers up on the screen. So, so what's going to happen? We'll put the slide up one more time just to make sure everybody has a chance to get it. So you can find uh, this and it'll ask you to put in your answers and we would love to make sure as many people around you as possible, if you can get their answers. That would be wonderful. If you're at home, we want to get your answers too. Okay, Paul, can we start saying some of people's answers? Isn't that interesting? So the number one thing so far is money. That is money is the, is the, is the number one thing. These are the, the things that we turn to in order to be okay. This is... And you'll see here we've had 31 people, 33 people respond so far. The things that are biggest are the things that most people are saying. So you can see there's so much, there's lots of different things there, isn't there? For, for some people, they want em, emotional support, marriage, finances. A lot of, finances is there a number of times, security, a new start, weight loss, job, stability. It's important to hear and important to know what are the things you are inclined to reach for, to, for your sense of being okay. 
Okay, we'll just leave that for one more minute. We'll just see, give everyone a chance to respond. We've had 41 responses so far. Okay. What I'd invite you to do, if you're at home, if you can get your communion cups ready, and if you're here at Mornington or at Lena Valley to get your cups ready. Because before we talk about conflict, we need to stop and hear the truth that Jesus is wanting us to hear. If you don't understand that you are God's child, then entering into conflict will be too difficult because the conflict will become too painful. But if you understand you are God's child, you can hang on. I, I love that Jenny's with us here, uh, who has been faithfully fighting a battle for many years. Many people, when you are looking away, when you see conflict, it's easier to walk the other way. When you see things are wrong, it's easier to look the other way. For a long time, Jenny helped fight for East Timor to be independent. And then she realised that West Papua was being colonised and people were not being taken seriously. And so she didn't look the other way. When I spoke to her about it, she said, I, I, I know that this is what God's asking me to do. For most people, conflict is too painful because we get our sense of okayness from these other things. Can we throw those things up again, Paul? Just For most of us, we get our sense of being okay from these things. We've had 95 responses from 46 people. This is the things that we get our sense of being okay from. The reason Jenny can keep the fight going is she knows that God's asked her to do it and her identity isn't caught up in it. She's able to hang on because she knows that God has asked her to move forward with it. It is too hard. If your identity is caught up with these things, it's just too hard to engage in conflict well. As I've already said, just before the incredible verses about Jesus being the tabernacle in 1 John, in John 1 rather, he says, John writes, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. You need to hear this. to all who believed in his name. We invite all those who believe in Jesus' name.
to come to this little moment. To all those who, if you're in the Nepalese church particularly, one of the, the first things you do as in knowing that you are in Jesus' name, as knowing that you are one of God's children, is you get baptised. And then once you are baptised, you participate in this meal. That is true in the English congregation too. Baptism is the first thing you do. That, and what, when you are baptised, what you say is, what you are saying is, my life is no longer my own because I'm God's kid. Jesus is my brother who died for me and I'm rising to new life in him. Jesus himself said something in the Gospel of John that sounds very strange. He says this, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. If someone's just tuning in online right now, they'd be going, what are you talking about? Eating flesh and drinking blood? What Jesus is saying here is if you are looking to money or if you're looking to healthy eating or your body or relationships or marriage or anything for life, you will be disappointed. But if you take my life into you, that's where you find life. We are going to take communion together. So I invite you to get the cracker, which is off the top. Sometimes it takes a little bit to do. And this is a symbol of Jesus' body broken for us. As we come to this, I invite you to imagine yourself at the foot of the cross and laying down at the foot of the cross the things you look to to feel okay. And know that you don't need anything in order to be God's kid. He loves you. Let's eat together. I'm just going to pray now. But this is a big thing. Satan wants you to believe that you are not okay. That you need to work harder or do something in order to earn God's love. That you need more money or more friends or you need to look different or have a different education or have a different house or a different car. Satan wants you to believe you need something else. Remember, to whoever believes in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. 
Thank you that we don't have to earn your love. Father, thank you that you sent your son. And we now get to be your sons and daughters. We don't have to do anything to be your sons and daughters because you have done it all. Jesus, thank you for your blood that purchased life for us. Help us be open to the whole life you have us. We ask this in your name. Let's drink together. So I just want to talk briefly about what Jesus shows us about how to disagree with people well. And the first thing is to know that you are God's child. Sometimes, as I said, when it feels like you are disagreeing with people, it it feels like you've got to win the argument in order to be okay in order for everything to be okay. I love, and I mentioned this before, that one of the Bible teachers that has been very helpful for me is a man by the name of Dallas Willard. And someone once asked him, give me one word to describe Jesus. And you know what word he used? Relaxed. Relaxed. Jesus didn't have to prove anything. Jesus doesn't have to prove anything. And neither do you. You are loved. So, when these two men come and ask for the temple tax... That's an interesting place for Jesus to be because he has replaced the temple. So what does he do about that? Well, look at verse 27. It says, So that we may not cause offence, go to the lake and throw out your line, be the f- take the first fish you catch, open its mouth and you'll find a four drachma coin, take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Because Peter and Jesus both lived in Capernaum. They had to pay the tax. Why did he not just pay the tax out of his own money? What we know is that there was a purse that, they, that Jesus' followers had, that Judas looked after, and they had money in it. It's also interesting, we learn in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 31, do you know where all the money came from? It's important for the men to hear this. Jesus' money mainly mainly came from the women. The, The women, we learn in Luke, chapter 8, verse 31, are the ones that provided Jesus' money. And so sometimes if we men think that we are the ones that have to do all the providing, we need to remember that sometimes, you know, it didn't work that way for Jesus. 
that the women were the business people. Now, Jesus chooses to not give money out of the purse because, why? Because that money was given to, for his ministry. Sometimes it's easier when you are in conflict just to do what is easier, just to say yes and go with the flow. Sometimes it's easier to sacrifice your values for the sake of conflict. Jesus doesn't do that. But at the same time, he doesn't say to these tax collectors, therefore, go away. Why doesn't he do that? It actually says, he says, we don't want to cause offence. We don't want to... Now, it's important to hear, this is where English is not the best language always to read the Bible in. I'm not sure what the Nepalese word is, that you translate in the Bible here. But in the, the word English for offence doesn't capture what the language actually meant. The Greek word for offence there actually communicates the idea of entrapment. That what... The, the thought isn't that the tax collectors would be offended but that they might be trapped into doing something that takes them away from God. That they might say something about Jesus or have a thought about God that would be wrong. Jesus doesn't want to do anything that causes problems for somebody else. So the first thing to understand about conflict is you don't sacrifice your values. The second thing to understand about conflict is you don't sacrifice other people. This is a, a principle right the way through the Bible. In Romans it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Romans 14, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. 1 Corinthians 10, whatever, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Now, it's important to hear this. This is Paul writing and he says, I'm not seeking my own good. Where do most of our conflicts come from? Where do most of our disagreements come from? They come from trying to seek our own good, don't they? They come from trying to force my own way. The Apostle Paul says, no, I will not try and seek my own good. And here, Jesus is not seeking his own good. He doesn't actually pay the temple tax with his money. Legally, found money in the Jewish system is not owned by the person who finds it. Jesus' temple tax 
is not paid by Jesus. It's paid by a fish. There is a tension. If we are to live in conflict, and let me tell you, we're coming up to a sad moment in our country, I fear. Another one. Where in Australia we will have a big fight about what happens in a referendum. And what, what is increasingly happening in politics is people on one side see the other side as evil. That is not what Jesus is modelling here. He's saying, I will not sacrifice my values, but I will do what is necessary to love the other person. And God gives him the miracle he needs to care for those tax collectors who are operating from a completely different agenda than he's operating for. Just because you disagree with someone doesn't give you the right not to love them and not to care for them. This is the truth that we need to hear. Jesus says in Luke, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anybody through whom they come. You might feel frustrated that somebody doesn't see things as you see things. You might think that you've got to fix it for them. But what Jesus is modelling here is that is not your job. Your task is to remain true to the values of the kingdom of God and to love. And that'll sometimes be complicated and sometimes you'll need a miracle. But that's okay. We follow a God who's in the business of miracles. Our task as we come to the referendum isn't to convince everybody that our way of thinking is right. Our task is to work out and pray through God, how do you want me to respond to this? How do I operate from my values here? And how do I be an agent of your love? This is also true in your family, in your church, in your community. And the church is meant to be a place that is an agent of God's love, living in a different way. Let's pray. And the band, as I pray, the band will be coming up at Mornington. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you model a different way. Thank you that because of your sacrifice, we are God's children. And we don't have to fight for anything. We are loved no matter what happens. We are recipients of your grace no matter what happens. Help us, Jesus, not take the easy route of compromise like you didn't do. Help us be true to the values you call us to. But Jesus, as we stick true to the values of the kingdom, help us be people who love. Help all the people who come in contact with us know they are loved. We know that sometimes we'll need a miracle for that to happen. 
thank you that you don't mind doing miracles. Help us, Jesus. Help us have the courage to stick to our values but at the same time to love because we know we are loved by you. We're going to need your help. So help us be open to all you have for us and all you are. And we ask this in your name. Amen.